Tim Ottinger has four questions that work great in many situations, from doing homework, to cooking, to writing code, to entire software projects. They're actually awesome questions to ask during a software project. We discuss the questions, where they came from, and look at some of the uses in software in this episode. ConfigCat is a feature flag service. Easily use flags in your code with ConfigCat libraries. Toggle your feature flags visually on a dashboard. Hide or expose features in your application without redeploying code. Set targeting rules to allow you to control who has access to the new features. It allows you to get features out faster, test in production, and do easy rollbacks. With ConfigCat's simple API and clear documentation, you'll have your initial proof of concept up and running in minutes. Whether you're an individual or a team, you can try it out with their forever free plan or get 25% off any paid plan with the code Test and Code 2021. Release features faster with less risk with ConfigCat. Check them out today at ConfigCat.com. Welcome to Testing Code. Welcome to Testing Code. I'm excited today to have Tim Ottinger on the show. On Twitter, he's listed himself as Agile Otter Tim, so that's a curious curiosity to me. But before we jump in, um, Tim, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, it's a good time. Good, I'm uh, happy to be here. How do you? normally introduce yourself pretty much like that hi i'm tim how do i usually do it um ottinger is the correct name so you've got it right um and i am also known as agile otter in some circles so if you are following the agile crowd about conferences and things a lot of times people know me that way okay well the article we're talking about is called uh the four questions and you published it in march of this year wow it was just a little bit ago yeah. Do you want to set this up? Sure. So um, some time ago, many years ago, um, a young man came to live with us. Uh, he uh, he was rather behind in school, and it wasn't really his fault. He was in a just a tough situation, the household problems. And where he should have been going into fifth or sixth grade, um, he was almost halfway done with first. And the uh, child you know, didn't have a learning disability that, that prevented him from being there. His situation was his disability. For various reasons, he didn't attend regularly. And so mostly he just never learned, you know, to go to school. So when he lived with us, he had to learn how to learn. And we had to go through everything from regular hours and um, basic behavioral things to, to how to how to study, how to do homework. So. Um, mostly my wife. She's amazing. She got him to go from first through fourth grade in nine months, Wow! which is, you know, clearly the child did not have a learning disability. It was just attitudes and circumstances. I mean, that's an amazing thing for any kid to do. Four years of school in nine months. Yeah. Um, and he went on to be a, a, a pretty good above average student for many years. Um, I think he's probably... Uh, getting close to finishing high school pretty soon by now. So it's been a long time ago. That's great. Well, one of the things that we had developed was, you know, that he had to develop an orderly way of going about his work. So we came up with some questions, you know, so he would sit down to do his math homework and we would walk through the sequence. 
Okay. What is it that you're getting ready to do? What needs to be done? I've got to do my math homework. Okay. What do you need to know or have in order to do that? Well, um, I need, I need some paper. Okay, good. What else? A uh, pencil. Okay. My book. Yeah, you should have your book. That's probably a good idea too. Yeah. Well, I, what, what are you doing? Oh, chapter four. Have you read chapter four yet? No. Well, then you need to know whatever is in chapter four in order to do the homework. So why don't you read chapter four? So that was the thing, you know, what do you need to do? Start off with. And then the second one is, you know, well, what, what is it that needs done is first. Then what do you need in order to do that? What do you have to collect, acquire? Um, where can you get the things you need? If you need your book and paper and a pencil, where are they? Mm. Which, of course, you know, originally they're everywhere on the floor somewhere. <laughs> but eventually they're gathered together at the work desk because you need them all the time. Right. So where do you get the things you need and how can you tell if you're doing a good job? Right. So yeah. how do you know if you spelled a word correct? How do you know if a math problem was solved correct? And these were the four questions for the young man. And it turned to me later on to realize that I started using the same questions when I was doing work. Well, I, these are great. And the fourth one is um, a lot of people leave off the last. You're going, to, uh, you're going to put your service in the cloud. Okay. How will you know if you've successfully done that? Well, um, hopefully you test out the service in the cloud. Check it out. Yeah. How do you know if it's really running there? How do you know that it's connecting to its supporting services? How do you know that it's using the right database? Yeah, I was actually, one of the things I was drawn to this is because I kind of floored how many times in my career I've completely interrupted a, a meeting by asking this question. We'll talk about doing something and I'll say, okay, so if we do this, how do we know if it's working? And nobody thought about that yet. Uh, and sometimes we have to go back, figure out how do we tell if this is working or not? Because sometimes, um, especially with computer systems, there's stuff that's, that's so hidden that there's no, there's no accessor functions to figure out if it's, if it's really running or not. So. Yeah. That's often a very indirect effect. I know that it's taking the data from the database and putting it on the screen because when I screen scrape it and find the the control that's the value that's in it and when i change the one control it changes it here okay then that must be the database <laughs> yeah this episode is brought to you by pycharm there are lots of times when i need a decent diff tool and i've used many over the years lately i've been reaching for pycharm that's right the Python editor and hands-down best GUI for PyTest is also my go-to diff tool. Just the other day, I had a corrupt mixed markdown HTML file that was working before I had made some changes. I used PyCharm to compare the current version against the previous version to show me the changes, which were all over the file, and quickly isolate the problem. And I always use it when committing code. I love that I can see diffs of every file I changed, undo changes I didn't mean to commit, like debug statements and such, and the diffs are editable. See something you misspelled or whatever? You can fix it right there in the diff window. So cool, saves tons of time. If you go to testandcode.com slash PyCharm and try out PyCharm Pro, a couple cool things happen. First, you get to try all of the pro goodies for four months for free. And second, you start saving time right away. Save time, use PyCharm. My 
my favorite uh, example was um, I was uh, I was doing working with a, D- a DSP team. Uh, I was I was writing some um, control methods, and they said, "Okay, there's this new widget that's this new value that the the user interface is going to have. They're going to pass it to you. Uh, you just need to pass it on to the um, to the DSP." And I said, "Okay, how do we tell if this thing is working or not?" And they said, "Well, you you won't be able to tell because it's." Um, would just trust us and i said okay well then you can just trust me i've already done it um <laughs> pr- prove that i haven't <laughs> uh and uh yeah that was another one of like okay well we'll have to figure out how to test this thing then so and that sort of tied in with ddd right <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um uh so these these actually i'm going to repeat them again so that just i can read them out loud myself uh what is it that needs to be done what do we need in order to do it where can we get what we need and how can we tell if we're doing it right? These scale so well. You, this can be down into like the the next five minutes of my work, um, to my entire day, to my week, to an entire project. Uh, works for function uh, like individual features plus an entire application. This is great. Yeah, it's it's ridiculously fractal, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and. It seems simple and obvious, but um, but I was just realizing this too because I've got I've got two daughters, and realizing that um, the uh, and this the learning and and getting things done at work or at school and at work is often down to these extra things. These um, you don't have somebody watching you and making sure that you're doing everything. You need to be able to do this yourself. So come up with a process, but. It's not really taught, um, or it it hasn't. It wasn't for me, at least. Um, maybe they're teaching it to my kids, and I just wasn't aware of it. But um, these are just good things for everything. I'm pro- and I uh, and I realize I'm. I'm re- these are so broad that I can I can apply them to uh, my wife and I like to cook a lot. So uh, before we jump in and start sautéing the onions, do we have everything for the rest of the recipe? Um, you know, things like that. Yeah, yeah. Salsa? Do we have cilantro? Do we have onions? Because often we don't have them. <laughs> yeah, and and it's it's um and it's a uh, about you know because sometimes I kind of uh, we'll just assume we've got stuff, but that's um that's true for uh, for software as well. We just assume um, okay, I know that like you know this this person is going to do this part and this person is going to do that part. Have you talked to them? Do they know that? Is there room in the schedule? Um, can we fit that in in this time frame? Uh, does it make sense? Um, these are good. Yeah, there's uh, all of the intellectual things you have to acquire, right? Do you do you know how to launch the app to launch the Selenium browser? Um, do you know that all of the software prerequisites are installed in the container? You know, does your is everything that's in your PIP virtual environment? Um, listed in the requirements.txt, you know? <laughs> yeah. Is there ever resistance to this that you've you've met? Um, you know, usually not. I guess it's it's simple enough that everybody kind of grocks the reason for it and why you'd want to work it out first. Um, sometimes people feel like it goes against their bias for immediate action. Um, you know, there's always the ready, fire, aim kind of uh, approach to things. Yeah. And certainly a lot of what we need to do, we'll, we'll learn by trying to do it. But, you know, you just narrow the scope. 
I mean, if, if everything's obvious, you're talking about this week. If things are less obvious, you're talking about today. Where things are even less obvious, you're talking about the next quarter hour. Right. And I guess now that you brought that up, I I guess I'm I'm reading into it something different than possibly others might. So the um what is it that needs to be done and what do we need in order to do it? Um all that those two first parts could be construed as like requirements gathering and uh and that can get out of hand. You can do excessive requirements gathering. Right. Um so I'm thinking in terms of so I uh, early on I'm glad I read this early in my career, but I read Pragmatic Programmers like yes. a long time ago. And this idea of a tracer bullet implementation has just stuck with me. So mm -hmm. I always try to do that of like, um, do the, what is the, like a very simple implementation that I can test the end-to-end -end thing. If I can include it, not just end-to-end -end for the application, but end-to-end -end with my entire workflow of like continuous integration, um, getting the source control right, um, getting all the pieces together um, and and getting something like that in place and and then and doing this in scale what needs to be done what do we need in order to do it but in the smallest implementation and then grow that right we, we we're very much believers in incrementalism so my context is always walking skeleton first right okay yeah and you broaden the functionality as you develop it rather than try to build you know build a bridge by hanging bricks in space from here to the other side you know <laughs> so, um yeah very much so and sometimes um, i've run an entire mini project by changing the first question to what's the most important thing it doesn't do yet Ooh, i like that and so we've done that you know what's the most important thing that it doesn't do yet well it doesn't exist okay it should exist. What's the most important thing it doesn't do now? Um, it doesn't receive input. Well, it, that's probably pretty important. Um, what's the most important thing that doesn't re doesn't produce any output? Oh, well, that's not good. Well, what's the next thing? Well, it doesn't run as a service, you know, on any place. There's no deployment. Okay, well, let's get that. Well, what's the most important thing it doesn't do now? Well, when it receives this message, it should do that with it. And that's really important. That's crucial. Okay, well, what's the narrowest case for that? So, so of course, all of these are always in, you know, a highly incremental point of view. You know, everything we do, we do um, short, short uh, bursts of work. We do micro commits. We do TDD. We do constant refactoring. We do CD. So, just like you, we're we're in a stream of, you know, we get a trickle of water going, and then we broaden the stream as by adding new features to it. Yeah, and prioritizing. I like that. What's the most What's the most important thing that it doesn't do yet? Because we, I mean, we also. I mean, I'm used to. I'm used to reading top to bottom and left to right sort of things. And often, when when you're brainstorming all the features that your application needs, you don't get them in priority order. You just get them like you know you, you're thinking about the input stuff. So you're like, oh, we should take. We should be able to, do, to pull in CSV files. Oh, we should be able to pull in different types of files. Well, you don't actually have to implement all those before you move on to <laughs> the next part of the right. application. You can put some of those off. Right. And that's, I think, one of the things that people don't understand about you know, the way we work is, um, okay, I have four features. I don't have to do the entire feature. Yeah. It may be that I do 10% of one feature and it no longer is the most important thing. And then 
the top 7% of another feature is the most important part. But once those two are done, the next feature becomes more important. And maybe two thirds of that really becomes crucial. And now I do that piece. Now maybe the first parts become important again. You know, we've in that stream, um, if I try to do entire chunks of work in big batches, I tend to produce less often and less certainly. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So tell me more about the consultancy thing. So you, um, do you write code as a consultant or do you, um, um, or how does that work? So um, an awful lot of my work is done as an embedded team member. So okay. um, I will join a team as a coach and help to teach uh, how to work together, how to collaborate, how to TDD, how to refactor, help people understand code smells and, and you know, system issues that are often not discussed even in colleges. So, yeah. Know, why is it that this method belongs to this class and not that class? Well, it's cohesion. Well, they never taught us about cohesion. Okay. This method <laughs> refers to seven variables from that class and no variables from this class. That means it belongs in that class. It yeah. belongs to the thing it's bound to by its references. Oh, well, that totally makes sense. Yeah. And it's like, why should this code be this way instead of that way? Well, I was taught that this is clean code. I was taught that this is the good way. This is how good people write their code. And it's like, well, that's nice. Um, but why don't we just think about signal to noise ratio? You know, you're going to take a look at this code. What is it really doing really? Well, it's hard. It's got a whole bunch of if statements and loops. Yeah, it does. So what's it really doing really? Uh, well, over here, it's populating a table. Okay. <laughs> populating this table in like 20 or 30 lines. But then after it's done with that, there's a paragraph marker to tell us what it's going to do next. Yeah, there is, isn't there? Okay, what's this function really doing really? Gosh, it's doing a bunch of things. Okay, maybe we should break it into individual things that have names. Now we can see. Okay, now what's this function? Oh, oh, okay, it's just configuring a routing table. Okay, name the function, configure routing table. You know, nice. when people are here and they want to know how to fix things, they need to know where to look. And we can make that easy. So as embedded in the team, you probably know you probably end up teaching them stuff that they didn't know they needed to learn and you didn't know you needed to teach them until you're there. Absolutely. Oh, that's cool. Um, And, you know, sometimes we find that the programmers, you know, are 5% of the lead time of a project. So, you know, you've got ideas that are coming on one end and they take weeks and weeks and weeks to go out the other end and be deployed. But the programmer's time is two days, right? Yeah. And you got a, an organization where people at the top are saying, we've got to go faster. You programmers have to work faster. And we can come back now once we measure that and say, you know, if we went twice as fast, this four-month uh, lead time, it would save you one day if we went twice as fast. <laughs> well, why are we so slow then? Well, let me show you your process. <laughs> Every time anyone does anything, it goes into a queue and it waits weeks for somebody to get around to it. And to give it a day's worth of service, and it goes into a queue, and it goes into a queue, and it goes into a queue, and the programmer works on it. It goes into a queue. It gets rejected. It comes back and queues up for the programmer again to go through a queue. What you've got is a process that's built to be slow and unpredictable. Well, I think the programmers need to work harder. Well, that's, that'll <laughs> save you one day. Get rid of a queue, and it'll save you a week. Which one do you want to do? Yeah. And even if the programmers were instantaneous, it only saves two days. Um, yeah. So, 
Yeah, if they were absurdly, impossibly fast, it would save <laughs> two days. Um, I'm glad I'm not working in an organization that broken. But uh, how often do you, how long do you usually spend with a team, or does it vary? Um, it varies. Um, sometimes I just do workshops, so a week or two okay. here and there. Um, okay. Some of them I may be with for a year. Um, huh? I don't usually like those. Um, usually probably two, three, four months. Oh, nice. Because yeah, uh, so you quarter. can kind of really get a get a sense for what the um, what their domain is and what their skills are and stuff like that in that time frame. Yeah, yeah and nice. I figure if you can't make a difference in a month or two, then you're probably the wrong consultant for that company at that time anyway. Yeah. Okay. And um, I assume most of your work now is remote uh, through virtual. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Stuff. And was it before um, before 2020 or? So we've been trying to sell remote coaching for about seven years, you know, so here's, here's Josh and all the rest of industrial large. Well, have you considered remote coaching? We could remote coach so you don't have the travel expenses. No, we think you need to be physically here. All right. <laughs> well, suddenly COVID hits and everybody's like, can you do remote coaching? And we're like, dude, we've been trying to sell you on this for seven years. You know, why haven't you, you know, but yeah, sir, we're happy to do that. And and so our business has grown like mad over the whole COVID thing. Oh, COVID sure. is not good for anybody, but a massive uh, increase to work from home has been good for our company. You know, it's sorry that it came about this way. We didn't get around to really talking about Modern Agile, so I'm going to have to probably bug you to come back and t- talk about Modern Agile at some point. Oh, um, gosh, if I have to. Sure. <laughs> I'd be happy to. Um, cause I'd love to, I'd love to cover that and what, what makes, what makes it modern. Um, so, so thanks a lot for your time and, uh, and thanks for writing this article. Um, so I'll talk to you later. Yeah. Thanks for the invitation in the chat. Thank you, Tim, for sharing the four questions and the story around them. Thank you also to Patreon supporters. Join them at testandcode.com support. Thank you, ConfigCat, for sponsoring. Release features faster with less risk with ConfigCat. Check them out at configcat.com. Try for free or use code testandcode2021 for 25% off. Thank you, PyCharm, for sponsoring the show. Save time, use PyCharm. Check them out at testandcode.com slash PyCharm. That link is also in the show notes at testandcode.com slash 155. That's all for now. Now go out and test something. <laughs>